literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you tuning in for another podcast of Austin Found. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. We're with the Austin American Statesman, and I, you know, both long, long time Austinites, and it never gets old and never fails that some people who've never been to Texas, right, uh, especially Austin, have this vision of the desert and tumbleweed and the wild west and yet right. we're a very right. colorful green vibrant town absolutely yeah i mean you could start getting to the dry line out west of town pretty quickly but here in austin it, it is green everywhere all year we've got our live oaks we've got our pecans we've got our junipers got all kinds of uh, beautiful underbrush that's green all year long uh, of course the pecans lose their their leaves but but a lot of it of the city remains green all year long it is true and it's shocking to people and i and i love the uh, one of your pieces you put together for indelible austin and you just described it as the watercolors of austin right right we have three basic colors i think I mean, and anyone can disagree with this this is not right. like philosophy this, or this is through your eyes through my eyes our main colors are green blue and white if we had a tricolored flag those would be our three colors because the green obviously is all the plants around us which are everywhere even when you get to the end of the summer a lot of uh, the lawns and so forth are beautifully golden instead mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a controversial thing or can be yes, whether we... you choose as an austenite to keep your lawn green oh absolutely i mean it has been a battlefield since i moved here because i came here when they were really getting underway uh, with xeriscapes dry plantings get rid of your grass and put in you know, lovely things that can survive a drought. And, and so a lot of people have done that, and a lot of people have gone in the other direction. <laughs> right. These vast pastures of St. Augustine grass, and, yeah. and people get uh, upset about that. That's, that's interesting you bring that up, because we're in the process in our Travis Heights home. We, we zero-scaped the backyard, mm -hmm. because we have big oak trees covering everything. You can't grow grass unless you really work at it yeah. like and it, it's it's uh expensive and it's a lot of water we minimalized the backyard and brought in a lot of crushed granite and built a cool fire pit as a centerpiece and then the front yard uh we're putting in like a it's a jasmine ivy that's yeah. super hardy yeah we've we, got a bunch of it at the entrance to the to the statesman here right right and it dies and comes back and you don't have to do much to it right but, so i'm on that side of the fence <laughs> well so are we you practically <laughs> described our backyard and our front yard. Oh, okay we've gotten rid of all the grass and you know uh, we still use a fair amount of water because the trees and the shrubs all need a deep mm -hmm. soak once a week during the incredibly hot summers we have here for a while we were publishing these shame lists in the statesman of the top water private water users in town and of course it's ridiculously low amount of water compared to what industry is using or what what agriculture is using for irrigation but 
Uh, and I think one time Lance Armstrong was at the he top did. of the list. He did. Yeah. <laughs> Your friend Lance Armstrong. I, and I, he and he had a good response to it, from mm-hmm. what I recall. He was like, "I had no idea <laughs> I was using that. Well, let me let me make some changes." He probably had an automatic sprinkler because he was going around the world all the and time. He's not and, making. You know, and some of these people aren't making that decisions. Right. They they have landscape crews that 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 set all that stuff. So, and, what a lot of people did, uh, not a lot of people, I'll take that back, a few people, instead sunk wells. Mm-hmm. Rich people sunk wells. Uh, I remember I was at a party at Mac Brown's house, a, a former coach, who seems to be doing well at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. No surprise. He's a smart man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always liked him. Yeah. Me too. He had the best man cave in that house, but <laughs> he sank a well and so, and he put a sound out front, and people do that to say, you know, essentially, don't blame us. We're using underground water. <laughs> a friend of mine did that too, and and uh, he wanted to do it before the laws changed on that. Mm-hmm. He, he owned a large lot in Terrytown and bought the adjacent lot and basically made it, you know, activities for the kids, a mm-hmm. pool, sport court, you know, all this outdoor stuff. And he, he put in a well, and he was like, man, over time this pays for itself right, pretty right. well, and. And uh, and takes some heat off on the water you're using, right. right? And there's there's a lot of controversy about the use of, of underground water because, you know, actually it, it's a better place to store water because it doesn't evaporate mm. uh, the way that our lake water does. We've overused almost all of our aquifers. There's uh, currently uh, an idea that's being floated that we take that water when it's flooding and and direct it to underground fissures so that we have it as a, a, as a storage a, a storage ah, yeah interesting and that's one of the other colors besides green there's blue and I, I associate that not just with the sky but with all of the water we have here True. when you think about being on the edge of the western semi-arid or arid areas you know we have water everywhere you look creeks and lakes mm-hmm. and rivers and just we're, we're very lucky to have this much. And that's why uh, humans have lived here for, for 20,000 years. Yeah, that had to have been for not only uh, Native Americans, but immigrants coming in when they, you know, got to the Colorado. And, and then there's all these, these these creeks. I mean, we've named many of them on the show. There's Walnut Creek and Boggy Creek and, mm-hmm. and McKinney Falls and just... Yeah, like you said, as you look around, Spicewood Springs, it's all around us. It had to have been just like, ding, 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 <laughs> we're stopping the wagons here, And all the right? springs, all yeah. the springs. The springs along the Balconies Escarpment, you know, have got the springs, the Ocarina Springs in San Marcos, and got the springs uh, in, in New Braunfels and the springs in San Antonio. There's a reason why the settlements were at those places and why the Native Americans revered that arc of springs because it was how you survive by going from spring to spring. And the further west you go, the springs are spaced out more and you might go for 100, 200 miles before you got to the next spring. Wow, you got to plan for that stuff. Yeah. You, you know, you talk about the blue water, sometimes brown, sometimes green. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> but mostly blue. I love how in this particular piece, you, you brought it back to the river, which right. before it was dammed up, mm-hmm. sometimes it was flooded and sometimes it was bone dry. Right. Right. We, right. It, it would, you would see all of those things. But then as it 
you know, became dammed up. One thing I, I learned, <laughs> just learned, that it wasn't always called Lake Austin. Once we got our first dam, which is now where the Tom Miller Dam is, mm-hmm. that lake had another name. Oh, Lake McDonald. Did not or, know that. Or, or McDonald Lake. At the time, that dam, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, was considered an engineering marvel. It was one of the, the biggest dams in the country in the 1890s. But it wasn't marvel enough because when a big flood came in 1900, it, it was just blown away. And uh, you can still see the granite when you go to Redbud Island. The granite from that dam is scattered around there. Is, is, is a lot of that dam break and flooding what basically built what is red bud island right there is that's an i you know i had never thought about i didn't that. know if that just was like accumulated well, because of that you know these islands and peninsulas and shoals come and go mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a island now that's pretty substantial at the base of waller creek that wasn't there when i used to walk from east austin to this building uh over here on on south congress every day and it just grew up very quickly willows and uh you know all kinds of things held it together and now it's a substantial island you Hmm. could go out there and have a picnic Hmm. and while we're talking about you know a river running through austin adding to the color of it and i love and a lot of your your storytelling michael is is you do a good job of painting a picture of what it might have been like you know, the river through Austin, mm-hmm. east, or, you know, we've talked east and west mm-hmm. and a divide there. The river also was a bit of a divide. I shouldn't say a bit of a divide, quite a bit of a divide between oh, north and south Austin and the cultures of both sides of the river. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, at first, there was no south side. I mean, there was, uh, in the 1850s, they started the School for the Deaf down there. And, and then later along came St. Edward's. But there was no re- regular traffic across the, the river at that time. They put in a ferry, the Swisher family, and later they put in a pontoon bridge. But it, of course, what? Washed away. You know? <laughs> and, and when you say literally, like you're, you're talking about a, a, a ferry, like what? For I'm trying to think of the timing here. This would have been horseback and carriages getting on a ferry and getting pulled across. Right, exactly. Wow. Yes. And, uh, and, and so you didn't really want to do that every day. There was not much of a commute mm, back right. and forth. Right. It's not like the people of Seattle who it's right. part of their nature to get on a ferry. Right. right. Uh, but when we finally got the first truss bridge, it was a big breakthrough and, and, and people began to settle on the South side, but the culture was still distinct from the North side of the river. And, uh, a lot of the people in, in my neighborhood, it, it was very impoverished and very rural. Uh, your side of, of South Congress became um, fancier. <laughs> and I don't feel Travis fancy. Heights. Uh, <laughs> but even then, people didn't go there. You mm-hmm. know, it was like, really? There's things on the south side of the river that people just didn't go. I mean, uh, oddly enough, now, you know, over the... Maybe it's it's a little bit blurred now, but growing up here, South Austinites were like, why would I go north of the river? Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you go back in the last 30 years. Well, and with all the traffic in the last decade, it's become more divided again, in a sense, mm-hmm. because we stay in our neighborhoods because we don't want to get out into the traffic. It's a, a sad uh, sign of the times, but we have less traffic during the pandemic. Even I-35 is pretty 
free flowing uh, mm-hmm. most days. We don't want that trade off of right. a deadly pandemic. But yeah, connecting north and south has been an evolutionary process. <laughs> What's also interesting about our failed bridges, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this on another episode of Austin Found, there was an early movement because of the water. Mm-hmm to be in an industrial town. Oh, absolutely, The Pittsburgh of the South. Yeah. And when our dams (laughs) and bridges uh, keep having issues, that changed the outcome of Austin entirely. Right, right. We became the city of homes, or our home city, after the the dam broke in 1900. And it wasn't until the LCRA dams went up, the Highland Lake dams went up in the 30s and 40s, that we were really protected from the worst of the flooding, and we still get terrible flooding, mm-hmm. mostly on the creeks. But when people see that, they have no idea how bad it was before the Highland Lake dams, uh, which were built partly to uh, electrify the rural areas, partly for water supply and recreation, but mostly, I think, flood control. I mean, I would think that's the thing they're doing the best. <laughs> there are reminders that we're not uh, immune to flooding again. Of course, we've talked about the big one in 81. Right. And then even if you're on the hike and bike trail, the Butler hike and bike trail, and you're at, at the pedestrian bridge near Lamar, and you're going up, the, there's the circle mm-hmm. to go yeah, up. Yeah. But, if you, stairway, yeah. but if you choose to go up the steps, there's a marker there from 2001 do i have the year right possibly where it shows the flood line from that year right and it when you're when you're walking by it and you look at it you go wait a minute that's it's sort of terrifying to to imagine that well even in in the time the amount of time that we've lived here the lake that used to be called town lake is now ladybird lake it got pretty high not like it did in the 30s like when it went all the way down south congress and up up yeah. to and actually onto Congress Avenue, even though it's up high on that bluff. Wow. The floods were even more serious back then. And then let's touch on the other color in your our palette of Austin watercolors. And that is white. And I, I say that because there's limestone all around us. And this beautiful Austin chalk, which is what it's called. Interesting thing. We're about to have a subway downtown. We're about to have tunnels. And all the things that people are talking about, and Elon Musk even put an an advertisement out saying, oh, it's all this Austin chalk is so easy to tunnel in. Yes, and I love the name of his tunneling company. Did you you, you catch that? What is it called? The Boring Company. Oh, clever, (laughs) clever, clever, clever. I can remember when people said, oh, no, we can never put in an underground parking because... Because it's stone. It's, it, yeah. You know, we couldn't do... No, actually, it's perfect. Huh. <laughs> it's perfect for tunneling. And and we should be doing more of that. Well, I, can't, uh, I can't just gloss over you mentioning that we're going to have a subway. Uh, give some people a context of the time. Here we are in the fall of 2020, and we just had a proposition passed. That's right. It's going to allocate some funds for this type of mass transit. For finally rail for underground tunnels for a lot of rapid bus lines and it's uh billions and billions of dollars but people it won pretty overwhelmingly mm-hmm. despite the fact that it lost twice once uh 20 years ago and once about 10 years ago yeah people want public transportation 
if you want to be a real city, a mature city, you need it. The limestone is everywhere. I mm-hmm. mean, people use it for facades. They use it for, I mean, of course, a, a lot of really old buildings are made of limestone. Or, and uh, I just think of it as being part of the core look of Austin is limestone. Well, there are your watercolors of Austin, and that is out of volume one uh, in Indelible Austin. You should pick that up. But uh, here's a great email, and we do love getting uh, any kind of feedback, uh, uh, response, uh, questions are great. From Tracy, I've been in Austin off and on since high school. Jobs called me uh, and us away twice, making us only more determined to come back. Somewhere through Austin found episode 10 through 14, I found myself having flashbacks. These are fun. (laughs) A college date taking me somewhere in the country to Soapbox Creek Saloon, where I discovered Marsha Ball. Wow. Still a fan today. Uh, Flying down 2222 from the Texas Tumbleweed in my 69 Beetle in neutral. That's a great image. Seeing the uranium savages at Liberty Lunch. This is interesting. Going parking at the end of Ben White Boulevard, where it used to dead end into what is now the Pennybacker Bridge. Wow. So that section of 360 was a continuation of Ben White somehow. Somehow, yeah. Uh, And the Pennybacker Bridge, by the way, let me throw in another little trivia thing. I just was writing about it today. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good timing. Is named for Selby Pennybacker, who was an early 20th century civil engineer who designed bridges. But he is the son of Anna Pennybacker, who wrote the earliest Texas history textbooks. Hmm. And she was a suffragist and a, a public speaker and author and quite a, a, a crusading woman for her time. So... It, it, it actually does have meaning. <laughs> yeah. And then we won't go into it too much because it sounds like this will be a, a great future episode yes, to yes. talk about that bridge. But my, my recollection of it, when it first went up, it was there was a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. It was considered an eyesore. The same thing happened with the Eiffel Tower, right? <laughs> and now, but you know, both those iconic, iconic images. When yeah. you see that image, you go, Austin, Texas. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. There's some people who think it, it is the image for Austin, yeah. Texas. Uh, I don't, but it, it's yeah. still a beautiful bridge. And A couple more comments and memories from uh, Tracy. She said what this show has reminded her of. Working my way through college at Convict Hill Restaurants, thanks to the generosity of Ralph Moreland and his restaurants, even working part-time, the restaurant scholarships were enough to pay a semester at UT, 300 bucks. Yes. (laughs) And one last memory from Tracy, driving in from Houston, listening to radio reports of the 1981 Shoal Creek flooding, hoping that our first new car that we got at Roger Beasley Mazda hadn't washed away. It didn't. (laughs) Wow. But thanks for the memories, and I have many more episodes to go. That's from Tracy Sullivan. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah, send your emails, please. Yes, uh, to mbarnes at statesman.com. Or jhager, H-A-G-E-R, at statesman.com, and pick up your copies of Indelible Austin. And the easiest place now is, pick them up, is Book People. They'll ship them to you. You can pick them up in person, and they do curbside service. All three volumes. Excellent. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.